Transform with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hi and welcome to the Robots Podcast. Today's episode will focus on transforming personal spaces. With living space, especially in cities, being in high demand, it can be a struggle to find a place with enough space to accommodate a living room, a bedroom and an office. But what if just a single room could be all three? At the MIT Media Lab, and at Ori Systems, engineers are busy designing robotic tools that allow traditional architectural and furniture elements to transform and intelligently connect to the world around them. Essentially, they're making robotic furniture that allows anything that's not being used to be hidden, transforming rooms from bedrooms to living rooms to offices, creating truly multifunctional spaces. Our interviewer, Audro, spoke to Hazier Larea, founder and CEO of Ori Systems, about his vision, about how his systems will be integrated into existing infrastructure, and about the future of Ori Systems. Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hi. Can you introduce yourself? My name is Asier Larrea. I'm an engineer from MIT and CEO of Ori, a new spin-off out of MIT. Mm -hmm. Would you tell me a bit about architectural robotics and maybe give me some examples? Yeah, architectural robotics is kind of the, the merge between two worlds, you know, the world of architecture and the world of robotics and technology. And the fact that these worlds have been apart for so long, the idea is to merge them together and to think about our interior spaces, think about walls, think about beds, closets, tables, all those things that give personality to a space and think about how we can make them transformable effortlessly transformable, magically transformable, so that it can adapt or they can adapt to our activities, and also intelligent, so that they can communicate and they can understand what's going on in a space. So what, what would be some examples of architectural robots? So we always think about, when we think about architectural robots, we always think about uh, space killers. And the space killers are those things that we are surrounded by that are great when we use them, but are really, you know, killing a space when we don't use them. So think about, for example, how we design a space. Think about how we think about functionality. You know, we think about uh, a, a place where we sleep, you know, and we call that a bedroom. A place where we work, we call that an office or a meeting room uh, and, and so on. A place where we teach, you know, classroom. And the problem is that we are thinking about functionality. It's just one functionality per space. And as you can imagine, that's not the most efficient use of a space because all activities uh, don't happen at the same time. So the idea of architectural robotics is to take those systems that are killing a space and make, make them actually make more space and make a space more intelligent. And that's where the idea of how, how do we change the mindset, how we can think and how we can change the paradigm from spaces to which we have to adapt, which has been the traditional paradigm, to spaces that adapt to our activities. And when we, sit, when we say spaces, remember, it's offices, it's homes, it's hospitals, it's hotels. It's basically all the spaces that are too valuable 
to be a static and unresponsive. Mm-hmm. And so why is it important that we use space efficiently? What, what in our society is? Yeah, I mean, th- there is a, that's a good question because uh, I always say that we've been building spaces like the Romans for 2,000 years. Uh, fundamentally the same concepts of, of bedrooms and uh, closed spaces. And the interesting thing is that uh, Romans did not have the challenges we have today. And one of the biggest challenges that we are seeing is urbanization. You know, the, the world is urbanizing like crazy. You know, uh, think about not only rural people moving to cities, but also new people uh, in cities. Uh, think about China, think about India. We are seeing millions millions of people moving to cities, you know, in there, there's all these studies, you know, crazy numbers, like, for example, in China and India, in the next 15 years, 15 years, there's going to be, you know, 600 million people moving from towns to cities. I mean, those are the kind of numbers we are talking about. And when you are thinking about that, that's two United States is correct. Exactly, exactly. The population of the United States is 300 million. So think about how in China and India, they have to build in 15 years, you know, twice uh, uh, what we have in the United States. So it, it, it's really it, it's it's a new it's a new paradigm. It's a new challenge. And that's why you are seeing all these innovations coming into mobility, uh, how we move around uh, urban farming, how we feed people and also in infrastructure, how we design, you know, our offices, our homes and the places where we will live and, and work. So that's where the big uh, societal need is. The fact that, you know, infrastructure cannot really keep up with the demand of these millions and millions of people moving to cities. And that's why we need to think about more efficient, more intelligent ways of dealing with with our urban uh, spaces. And how does this compare to examples such as a fold-up bed? That's a very good question. Uh, Look, we've been, so my team and I have been researching for the last uh, five years Everything related to efficiency, intelligence in spaces. And, and the first thing that comes to someone's mind is this is old. This is not new. The idea of folding a bed, folding a table. If you go to your grandma's home, I'm sure you can find some examples of efficiency. The problem is that most of those systems were not designed for daily use. For example, the example of the fold out beds. You know, they were designed for guests. They were designed for occasional use. Now, when we think about systems that have to effortlessly transform to activities, systems that that basically, depending on what's going on in the space, they just transform to what you're do- doing. You cannot you cannot add rituals. You cannot add uh, cognitive loads to to transformation. And that's what happens. You know, when you try to use old solutions like foldable beds, Murphy beds, they're called. You try to put them into new problems like micro units, small apartments. What happens is that not only people hate it, but also people stop doing doing transformation because transformation has such a cognitive load that people stop transforming the space. And then the space, believe it or not, becomes smaller because now you have all these kind of gimmicks. You don't use them. And now the space starts becoming more cumbersome. So the idea is. How do we bring the world of robotics so that, one, those transformations can be really effortless? And that's a key word because a Murphy bed or a fold-out bed is not effortless. It's very far from being effortless. So robotics come into play to make that transformation really magical and effortless. And secondly, make a transformation and a space intelligent. 
because we are seeing a trend towards uh, IoT, uh, connected devices, smart thermos, IoT, Internet of Things. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, you know, smart thermostats, smart locks, smart lighting, smart everything. Smart everything except the things that actually really give personality to space. Except, you know, the, the table where you are working or the, the bed where you are sleeping. And those are the things that, that have a lot of opportunity to be connected, to be smart, to understand activities and to basically have new new functionalities. Okay. So would you introduce me to your company? And tell me how this relates. Yes. So what we decided after a few years of research at, at the MIT Media Lab, we decided to spin off a, a startup, a company uh, called Ori. Ori coming from origami. So the art of folding. Uh, and that's how we saw how we can fold together robotics, architecture, and design. And that is the origin of Ori. And basically what Ori is trying to do is take all these technologies, all these robotics we've been building for, for, you know, half a decade at the Media Lab at MIT and kind of take them and package them um, for scale, for deployment at scale. Because one thing is to do a prototype at a laboratory. A very different thing is to take that prototype and create a product with that. There's very different constraints, very different limitations. So that's how, how we are approaching it right now. Uh, we just launched the company and, and we are bringing some of these architectural robots to the market as we speak. Mm-hmm. And so can you describe the architectural robots that you're bringing to market? Yes, definitely. So the, well, basically the, the approach with the research was always to think about how we can build uh, a standard components, modular components. So some people in the audience may remember the Lego Mindstorms, which was a great example of robotics, you know, packaged and compartmentalized into modules so that kids could create all kinds of robots with Legos. So those were you could create electric vehicles and, uh, you know, uh, like guitars and transformers. Yes. So So they had basic sensors and basic motors and you could control them with something you could program. Exactly. But the key thing is that you could see a hundred different Lego Mindstorm robots and you could see how they were all sharing the same components. They all had the same mechanical modular parts, the same electronic brain, the same API software wise. So what we did is can we take the same approach for architectural robotics? Can we design a toolkit so that architects and designers can start designing, you know, a new generation of spaces. Now, going to your question about the first initial architectural robots, what we realized is that when you have a toolkit, initially no one knows what to do with the toolkit. So you need to show the way. You need to lead the way. You need to take your components and create some initial applications. And that's ex- that's exactly what we did as a company. We just... uh started thinking about where are some of the biggest problems we are seeing in cities. And one of those is especially young people, entrepreneurs being priced out, kicked out of places like Boston, New York, San Francisco, but also London, Singapore, Tokyo. And this new concept of micro units, which nowadays means just let's make a tiny, tiny space and let's force people to live in tiny apartments. So we said, can we Bring some systems that uh, systems that make that experience much more luxu- luxurious in the sense that a small apartment could act like a bigger apartment. 
So the initial system that we are launching uh, as Ori is basically a combination of a few things. So we took our components and we created, uh, let me describe it here. We create a moving wall that basically has a bed integrated, a full size or a queen size bed integrated with tons of storage and the whole wall moves through the apartment. So let's walk through the functionality. If you think about a typical studio apartment, a studio apartment is one room only. And what people complain about in these rooms are basic things like, for example, number one, people complain about division of space, meaning couples don't want to live in studios because you cannot really divide the space. So when you are, I don't know, living with your wife or your husband, one wants to go early to bed, the other one wants to watch TV, now you have a problem because you have only one space. The second problem is the, the damn bed. You know, the idea that your studio seems like a hotel room. Uh, you want to have a, a meeting or a party and your bed is right there in the middle. Not only dysfunctional, but also weird in some cases. And last but not least, the idea of storage. So people complain a lot about not having enough space to store things in these kind of small apartments. So think about those three problems and think about how you can create a system, a moving wall that actually divides the space a moving wall that integrates a bed so it can appear and disappear on demand, and a moving wall that uses storage to hide the bed. So the way you solve the problem of hiding the bed is by bringing more storage to the apartment. So that's the initial system we are we are basically already beta testing uh, in some cities in the U.S. Mm-hmm. How large is it? So the system is basically wrapped around a bed. So the foot, the footprint is based on the size of the bed. So there, it's a family. So depending on, the, there's like one with a full size bed, another one with a queen size bed, another one without a bed. And the idea is that depending on the size of the bed, the, the system kind of uh, changes the dimension. So there's a family of them. Mm-hmm. And so what are some differences between uh, different members of the family other than the bed? So the, the first family of systems, it's basically horizontally moving walls, but it's mostly the, the form factor. So the thing here is that when you think about studios, studio apartments, you can think about new buildings that can be designed uh, to a spec to make sure that these systems fit. But you also have tons of existing studios. And as you know, existing studios you know, sometimes have different form factors. You can have a rectangular form factor. You can have a more square form factor. You can have a column in the middle. So in order to adapt to different floor plans, what we decided to do is create more of a family so that you could have different sizes. You could have a version that is just a closet that moves. You can have with one with a bed, with a bigger bed. And depending on, on the dimensions, you can basically adapt to many more spaces. So that is the purpose of creating more of a family rather than just one dimension and one one system. Mm-hmm. So how do users control it? That's a good question. So there's there's a few answers to that because initially what we decided to do is we decided to start with a baseline functionality. And the baseline functionality is touch. And the reason it's touch is because, you know, when you think about internet-connected devices, when you think about the smart home, you need to have technologies that are able to, or you can control when you are naked and out of the shower. You cannot be dependent on a mobile phone, on, on all these other kind of interfaces that people are talking about. You need to have a place where you can actually control things with your fingers. So that is the baseline. 
there's a, a control interface that basically allows you to control lighting. It allows you to move the, the whole wall. It allows you to get the bed in, get the bed out. It allows you to uh, preset uh, specific locations. So you could have a location uh, called bedroom. And when you press the bedroom icon, the whole system would move, the bed would go out, and everything would happen. Now, the reason I'm saying this is a baseline is because we imagine these ideas almost like a mobile phone in the sense that when you have a mobile phone, it can be Samsung, Apple, whatever that is, you have an app ecosystem, an application ecosystem. So we may have the same device, but the functionalities and the experience are very different because we download different functionalities. So think about the same way for your home, for your office. You have some baseline functionalities, and now you could say something like, okay, I want to talk to my to my home or to my device, so I want to download the voice command control uh, application. So I would buy, for example, an Alexa, an Amazon Alexa device. I could download the application, and now I could say things like, Ori, I'm going to bed and the whole thing transforms. But for example, my mother would never want to have voice command. She would hate it. So she doesn't need to download the functionality. So that's the idea of building functionalities and seeing these systems as a platform, as a platform for, for customization and, and personalization. Mm -hmm. Is the system modular in any way the user can control or is are the systems composed of different modular components? So from a physical standpoint, they, they are modular. So the way these systems are uh, built and designed, uh, you have basically a robotics core, which is standardized, and then everything is, is skins. Think about it as an skeleton and skins on top of it. So those skins, which are the furniture, the panels, think about it almost like Ikea, you know, flat packed, and the idea that you could basically, you know, change panels, you could choose different fittings. So you could decide, for example, that you want uh, to have an office space, or you want to have more storage, all of that is customizable. So we, we really wanted to allow some personalization because when you think about spaces, when you think about our homes, personalization is very important. Uh, there's no one size fits all. There needs to be a way for people to, to kind of put their, their taste and, and customize the system. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing before this interview, you mentioned that the price of these systems can vary quite a bit based on the, would you talk a bit about how the price can vary? Yes. So the, the price question is, is, is very interesting because, I mean, right now we, we don't have the, the pricing set yet for the initial systems, but the, the most important thing to emphasize, which is very counterintuitive, is the fact that when you look at these systems, the biggest cost by far, by an order of magnitude, is not the robotics, is the furniture. And that is very interesting because when you think about that, you know that furniture can be made as cheap or as expensive as you want. When you are uh, when you're buying your furniture, you can go to Ikea, you can go to Herman Miller, you can go to a Steelcase. There's a huge spectrum of solutions. So if you can make the robotics the cost of things like, I don't know, garage door openers. Garage door openers are a great example of robotics costing hundreds of dollars, not thousands, hundreds, with motors, electronics, software. And then you can think about systems that could be very cheap or very expensive. So the fact that the initial systems we are implementing are more focused on big residential towers, New York, San Francisco, 
where the rents are very expensive and the systems are going to tend to be a little bit more expensive, that doesn't mean that the systems could be very cheap at the same time, because the robotics, again, are a fraction of the cost of the whole system. Mm -hmm. Now, what kind of sensors and actuators to make up these systems? Yeah, so so we, we think about it as, as Lego mindstorms, as I said before, in the idea that first you need to have muscle. You need to have some muscle that allows these things to move. So what we did is we basically took we took a look at all the actuators out there, like, for example, CNC actuators, you know, very expensive, very precise. You know, they give you like a micron of a precision. You don't need that when you are transforming your space. You don't care if your bedroom is a micron bigger or smaller. So we said, can we take those systems and design them in a way more similar to how garage door openers, for example, are designed? which as I said before, they are designed for, you know, hundreds of dollars, not thousands. So we basically have a component that is the muscle, a component that moves a wall, but the same component, you can basically take it out from the, from the floor and now you can put it on the fixed wall on the side. And instead of moving a, a partition or moving a closet, you are moving a bed up and down with the same actuator or you are moving a conference table up and down with the same actuator. That's one. Secondly, there's a chassis, like, an, like a basic, you know, frame that allows, for example, a moving wall to be stable, a moving wall to have some rollers and to house some electronics and some power electronics so that, so that you know, the system, you know, can be electronically controlled. And last but not least, there is a brain, and the brain is the interface. And this is the place where you not only control the system, this is the place where you have icons, you touch with your finger, you touch if you want to move the system, if you want to control the lighting. But also, this is the brain because it connects to the Internet. So this is the thing that could talk to your smart thermostat or could talk to your lighting or could talk to whatever. So that is, those are the three key components, very similar to the Mindstorms idea. So they are very modular and they are very standardized. So you could basically use the same components to create not only one architectural robot, but two, three, four, ten, a hundred architectural robots. Mm -hmm. Does it have any sensors on board? It does. Uh, so right now, the initial sensors we integrated are more focused on safety. So basically, we have sensors, for example, to measure current. So when the motor is, is moving the system, and if, for example, it hits someone, for example, there's a dog on the way, or there's a person on the way, we are using similar mechanisms like garage door openers again. So that, for example, when the system hits someone, there's going to be a spike in current and you are going to be able to see if you actually hit someone. Another sensor we have, for example, uh, presence sensors, similar for safety, but very similar to what uh, cars use when they are parking. When you are parking your car, you are backing up and you have these sensors that allow you to know, you know, if some object is on the way, the same kind of technologies. So the idea here is we're trying to use sensors and technologies that have been used in other industries and applying them to this new application. Mm -hmm. Now, can you use the sensors to, say, analyze the behavior of the user? So right now, you can do a few things. Uh, and of course, we are still in beta testing, so this is still experimental. But number one, you can know the position of the space. So the same way, for example, uh, a thermostat, a smart thermostat can know that you are walking by 
and that's some data that it can gather about activity, these systems could know the position of the space. The system can know if the bedroom is open. The system can know if the wall is in a specific location. Of course, this is all data that the user could keep private, the user could share with his apps or her apps, whatever that is. But these are things that we could gather. So you can think about sensors that you could integrate in the system. You could think about sensors for sleep tracking. So the bed could have sensors for tracking your sleep so that it could help you sleep better. So it could connect the, the bedroom, for example, to your lighting scheme or to your temperature. You could have sensors, the same sensors that you could use for safety. You could use those sensors to track activities and see if activities are happening in the living room so that the home can adapt to that or if activities are happening in the bedroom so that the bedroom settings can uh, come into play with, again, with temperature, lighting, and so on. So these are all, you know, new smart behaviors that could come together with these new systems. Mm -hmm. Now, can you talk a bit about the challenges of designing for the user's intentions? Yes, so this, uh, user's in intentions, you mean uh, taste or aesthetics or what, no. what do we... So I imagine that the way one user, one person would want to use this system and another person would want to use this system might vary a little bit. And I know you have a family to address this kind of thing, but then there's also if a user, uh, say, gets a girlfriend or something like this and their lifestyle changes a little bit. Uh, how do these considerations come into designing these the system? So the, the way, so I think the answer to that is the fact that as we don't have all the answers, and for example, we are, our focus is on robotics. We are, for example, not doing deep learning and things like that that are coming. What we want to do is we want to create an open system so that this is not a closed system. This is an open system the same way developers can, you know, develop apps for mobile phones. Think about how developers could develop apps for physical spaces. So now you could have an expert on deep learning, on activity recognition. And that person could get access to, you know, the data or the things, the inputs that are coming from the system. It could have access to outputs. And all of a sudden, you could start having amazing applications that we, as the initial kind of architects of the systems, we couldn't even think about. Because I'm, you know, I'm not an expert on deep learning or I'm not an expert on health applications or lighting. But there are a lot of experts out there in all of those things. So what if those people could start programming some apps for this kind of an ecosystem? So that's how we see that someone could start adapting things to their needs so that, you know, initially you could have one app, two apps, but you could have all these developers chiming in and developing all these new applications and functionalities. And then opportunities are endless. So to your example of, I mean, you could have the girlfriend, uh, girlfriend is coming up, you know, that make sure that the whole space, you know, is or Better, better than that, the mother mother is coming up, you know, that, you know, cleans everything and make sure that everything is presentable for your mother. So all of those, you know, fun things that you could do, sky is the limit because you could design almost any option. Mm -hmm. Now, so you mentioned that you have a variety of systems so that uh, putting the system in existing apartments that may have a column or something or of different shapes. I imagine that for the larger systems that you would almost need an apartment designed, the, the like actual layout of the apartment designed for the system. Are you working towards this with any architects or building designers uh, that a building would be built for these units? 
So, yes, we are. Uh, now, the key idea is that we are designing these systems in such a disentangled way, meaning they are not part of the building structure. That means that the same systems, we are designing them with the idea that they could always be implemented in both retrofits and new buildings. Now, it is true that no real estate developer is going to build a hundred or a thousand of these systems before they see success stories in retrofits. So it's more of an evolution. We start with retrofits, but when we start working with the developers, with the building owners, the architects that control those buildings, in parallel to that, when we install these systems there, we start working with them on the new floor plans, on the new layouts. And what happens is that even though you can integrate the systems in both retrofits and new buildings, the more design you put into the floor plan, the more integrated the system will look like, the more in place, the more functional. So it gets better if you think about new buildings. And that's the, the challenge with new buildings is that think about new buildings taking two to three years from planning to execution. So that's why we need systems that come both into retrofits and new buildings. But, but uh, to your point, if you design around the systems, the systems are going to be more integrated, are going to look more beautiful, and are going to be, are going to make it possible so that we could actually even build smaller apartments. Because if you can prove that a 300 square feet apartment acts like a 600 or a 700, then, then the, the whole story changes. And, and one thing I want to emphasize there, we don't want to force people to live in smaller apartments because that's happening. What we are trying to do is we are trying to make those smaller apartments, which are going to tend to be cheaper. We are trying to make them much more functional. And we are not trying to make them more functional by bringing crazy costs because, as I said, these robotics are garage door opener style cost systems. So the, the biggest cost by far is always going to be a square footage. So if you can make a smaller apartment act like it bigger, then, then that's where the value proposition is for both developers and renters. Mm -hmm. Now, who are your early adapters? Who are the people that are using these systems now? So, so as a business, the first thing we realized is that the people that live in these studios, at least in the U.S., uh, they are not buying apartments. They are renting apartments. So that, me that means that the people, the end users, are not the economic buyers, are not the people buying the systems. The people buying the systems are the real estate developers or building owners that control these towers, you know, in Manhattan, in San Francisco. So these are our customers directly. So we sell to these people that control the buildings, and then the end users are the renters who are going to live in those spaces. So right now we are piloting with a few real estate developers in Boston, in Seattle, in D.C., with the idea, of, of course, of going to New York and, and San Francisco very, very soon. Mm-hmm. And so what is the timeline for this technology and for your company? Yeah, so this is, as I always say, this is not science fiction anymore. These things are ready. You know, we are testing these things with Airbnb renters and people living with these systems for the past few months. So the idea right now is that we are going to be uh, beta testing for the next six months while we get the supply chain ready because the systems are ready, but we are not ready yet to build hundreds of them. So we are getting the, the manufacturing and the supply chain capabilities ready. And the idea is that we are planning to launch second 
quarter of 2017. That's our current plan. And that means that second quarter of 2017, less than a year, you know, real estate developers starting in the U.S. will be able to start installing ORI systems. Of course, the reason I'm saying we are starting in the U.S. Uh, is that even though we are starting here, if you think about the market, if you think about Hong Kong, Singapore, Tokyo, London, uh, those are huge markets too. So we really want to find the, the right partners in those countries so that we can start uh, expanding uh, some of these solutions. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for today. Pretty cool, right? If you'd like to know more, just visit our website at robohub.org, where you'll also find all our past episodes, as well as videos, feature articles, and lots more about robotics. As always, we'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Transform with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.